Hi, I am Jason, creator of these, The Grey Rooms. I wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude to you for your support in this endeavor. This is the first season of The Grey Rooms, an idea from a dream I had a long time ago in a galaxy. Well, being it's about to be May the 4th, I felt that might be a little appropriate. But seriously, thank you for your support. It has been so extremely fun on this ride with you. And I couldn't say thank you properly without saying it to our newest members of our Patreon family. Those newest members are Cassie Pertit, Denise Pinto, Godzilla Eyes, Jake Hauser, Jake Ivy, Jeremy Schaefer, Michael Beckwith, and Stephanie. Thank you so very much for your support. Everything about this podcast has been new and in many ways, a constant learning process. Having your support through all of this has made it so much easier. For that, I and we are extremely grateful. And trust you me, more is coming very soon. And we are excited to have you with us. Thank you again so very much. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season 1, Episode 12.
Raymond and I first met at the library in college. I think I had been trying to get his attention, but he was just so into whatever it was that he was reading. <laughs> oh no, I saw you, honey. You know, I just was nervous. I really didn't care about reading. I had to drop a book to get him to snap out of it. <laughs> Jurassic Park. I'm studying Dante, and you're reading Jurassic Park. Come on. What wasn't to love? Remember the poetry? Oh, God. No. Don't remind me of that. I... Shut up, Ray. You were in love. You know I brought one, right? You guys want to hear? Ah! Oh, man. <laughs> Hell yeah! Honey, no. Lucy. Come on. Don't. <clears throat> Deep in the jungle, while running from a velociraptor, I suddenly realize it's your phone number I'm after. Please do not be like an angry Tyrannosaurus. I'd love to take you on an adventure and see what destiny has for us. Aw, you guys are too cute. Mike, you never wrote me poetry. Yeah, and you don't like dinosaurs. Well, thankfully, Lucy did. Otherwise, that would be very embarrassing. Aw, I love you, Ray. Happy anniversary, baby. Happy anniversary, Lucy. Open the door. 911 operator, what is your emergency? I need help. He's trying to break into my room. Who did you call, Lucy? Hang it up. I swear to God, if you call the police, Lucy, I'll, I'll, I'll break your neck. Where are you? Trapped in my room. 311 Baxter Street. 311 Baxter Street. Jesus, God, help me. God damn it. One last kiss. Lucy. Hang up the phone! Please, Raymond, stop it! You can't leave me. I won't let you. Don't hang up. Help is on the way. Ah, yeah. Raymond Green. I was laying on a hard, cold floor. So cold that my skin burned. It was probably the same cold that Rasputin felt as he lay dying and thinking of the snow-covered forests near his childhood home. The silence that he heard was something that I knew too well. I killed my wife. My pregnant wife. This person that I was. It, it didn't feel like me. It felt like I was in another one of the rooms. Suffering 
along with some unfortunate victim circumstance. I, I could never do anything like that. Never. God, help me. Please, God. Would you like some wine, Raymond? Now's not time for your stupid souvenirs, Bob. It will help you to relax. The wine was supposed to kill him! Right. Well, we don't need poisoned wine to do that here. But as you wish, you've certainly been in a mood lately. Everything you said was true. I know. Well, I didn't. Is that why I'm here? Because of what I did to them? Thanks, Bob. Can't even just give me a yes or no. Can't you see one? It's over. I'm a sack of shit. Hooray! No, that's not why. I stared at the ceiling. Only a megalomaniac talks from the ceiling, I thought. But it just seemed like the place a disembodied voice would come from. There weren't any speakers in the room. It was almost as if there was a presence with me, and whenever it made the most sense, he would chime in. I walked over to the table and grabbed the keys. I didn't feel like dealing with riddles today. It was better when I didn't know anything about who I was. Oh, sure. Bob would throw me a bone once in a while and pique my interest. But I just found out that I hate myself. How could this happen? How could I live knowing this? You remember the beginning, Raymond? When you learned the rules? Yeah. Seems better now, doesn't it? No responsibility. Nothing to own up to. Truth hurts. Hey, Bob. Yes, Raymond. Did you do anything like this before me? Another prisoner? Yeah. Yes. What were they like? They're all the same to me. Piece of shit. Yeah. I get it. You told me that I wasn't once. You remember that? I guess it was a lie. Well, I agree with you, Bob. I deserve whatever the hell this is. I just wish I could apologize to them and then die permanently, never come back. Does that ever happen?
All right, well, whatever. I'll just take this door and be on my way. Goodbye, Bob. desolate countryside, you tend to come across a lot of strange and unexplainable things. The strangest thing that I've seen is an entity I've come to refer to as the Gardener. Don't let his innocent nickname fool you. He is, by far, the most terrifying individual to inhabit the valley I call home. I think it's partially because of his brazen behavior. While some creatures lurk in the woods, beyond the fields, and scamper away at the first sign of human life, Gardner roams in full view, carrying his rusty tin watering can everywhere he goes. He's so brazen, in fact, that I originally thought he was a senile neighbor. That is, until the night I saw him up close. That's when I realized he wasn't human. He was something more. Or perhaps, something less. This year, the region was experiencing a prolonged period of drought, the third in recent memory. My land, once full of rich soil, was crumbling at my feet, dry and cracked like the surface of a shortbread cookie. You'd think nothing could survive the desert-like conditions, yet weeds spread like wildfire over what had once been a luscious field of strawberries. They formed a mismatched blanket of gnarled vegetation, that extended from my house to the neighbor's farm several miles away. He'd given up the upkeep months ago and allowed the land to be swallowed away, while I stubbornly spent my days pulling out the weeds and mowing my field to no avail. Every morning I'd wake up to an ocean of undesirable plant life replacing what I'd gotten rid of the day before. A few nights ago, I spotted someone in my field my eyes attempted to pierce through the darkness so I could make out the form more clearly, but all I could see was the outline of the man slowly making his way up and down my rows of barren land. From his short gait and hunched stance, he gave the impression of being an elderly man. My first thought was that he was a disoriented neighbor in need of help, so I hurried out with a flashlight to offer my assistance. However, by the time I made it out the door, he was gone. Try as I might, I couldn't find a single trace of him. He left no footprints to prove his existence, nor did he produce any sound nearby that could point me in the right direction. I wondered then, as I stood alone with nothing but the howling wind to keep me company, if he'd just been a figment of my imagination. Isolation could play tricks on the mind. It was probably just an animal, I theorized. As I headed back home, I felt my feet sinking in the ground. I knelt down and touched the soil with the back of my hand. 
It was moist, as though freshly watered. It hadn't been my imagination. It was my first encounter with the gardener. The next morning, I awoke to find half of my field coated in thick and twisted vines. They stretched from the woods all the way to where I'd last seen the gardener the night before. Coincidence, I thought. The weeds stopped abruptly. The transition between them and empty land was so unnaturally well-defined that it resembled the sharp wall of a corn maze. I was in for another day of hard labor, else I risked my home being overrun by the tangled mess. I decided to go into town to buy herbicide and fuel for my lawnmower. It had been a while since my last visit, and I needed the human interaction. There was talk of an exodus in town that day. The region couldn't survive another poor harvest, and apparently many families had abandoned their homes overnight. Those houses were soon swallowed by the same weeds I'd been battling all summer. As I did the rounds and made my purchases, I couldn't help but wonder if it was time for me to move on as well. I liked my home. I loved living in the countryside. But the valley was dying. Maybe my troubles were a sign that it was time to leave. Once I'd finished my errands, I drove back home, where I spent the rest of the day spraying, mowing, and pulling the weeds from my field. The gardener appeared again that night, as I sat on the porch rewarding myself with a beer. He didn't even seem to mind my presence as he walked about slowly, stopping every few meters to dip a watering can. He did so seemingly at random, pouring a substantial amount of liquid into my wasteland of a field. I watched, stunned, as he continued row after row, emptying the canister onto the cracked soil. I didn't think there was anything else at play here than a crazy old coot with a pathological need to water invisible plants. Perhaps he had Alzheimer's and mistook my field for his garden. I could have run up to him and asked him to stop, but I honestly didn't see the point in bothering the old soul. Without so much as a wave of acknowledgement, I left him to his own devices and headed inside. For hours, I lay in bed unable to find sleep, partially due to the dry heat and partially due to a building sense of anxiety in the pit of my stomach. There was one thing that nagged at me. Though I'd watched the man water the ground for a good 10 to 20 minutes, never once did I see him refill his canister. Just how much water could it hold? I'm not sure what compelled me to do it, but I crawled out of bed and drew open the blinds of my bedroom window. The old man was still going at it. His back turned to me, no more than 10 meters from my house. I could see him quite clearly this time. Gray and white hairs stuck out from under a straw hat. Skinny arms and bony hands clutched his rusty watering can. A flannel plaid shirt was tucked into a pair of overalls and rubber boots, not unlike those of a cranberry farmer, reached midway up his legs. 
The scene went from slightly odd to downright strange when I noticed a twig sprouting from the spot he'd just watered. Before my very eyes, more and more weeds emerged from my field like baby chicks hatching from their eggs. They blanketed my property in a matter of seconds. In utter disbelief, I closed the curtains and backed away. Impossible, I thought. It had to be a trick. Maybe I'd had too much to drink? Perhaps the second beer, combined with the exhaustion and dehydration from a hard day's work, had conspired against me to create this unearthly illusion. Even though I'd seen the results of the weed's unnatural growth throughout the week, it was hard to resign myself to the truth. My mind plagued with denial. I crept back into my bed. The only way I'd get any sleep was by casting aside my thoughts of the strange old man and his plants that grew as quickly as magic beanstalks. Even still, it took several hours for sleep to finally find me. Not even the welcoming rays of sun could wake me the next morning. By the time I opened my eyes, it was almost noon. My back ached from the previous day's activities of lugging around the large herbicide container and bending over to pull weeds. It had taken a toll on my body, but it was nothing I wasn't used to. Having grown up on a farm, I'd become accustomed to hard labor and the soreness that came with it. Down the creaky wooden stairs I went and then turned the corner to my kitchen. That's when I saw what had become of my beloved field, and the sight caused me to gasp loudly. There were weeds from corner to corner. They stretched up a good six feet, then buckled and craned downwards. I'd woken up to a carpet of weeds before, but never this high or this dense. It shocked me to the point of immobility. I must have stood there studying the sight in shock for a good ten minutes before I finally managed to move a muscle. What could I do but cut them down again? They were too tall for my lawnmower, so I equipped myself with a sickle and more herbicide, tackling the vines blindly. Not only did they stretch from the forest all the way across my field, but they also crawled along the exterior walls of my house. Within hours, I'd filled five garbage bags full of vines, but I'd only managed to clear a fraction of my land. I was beyond drained by nightfall, having spent the entire day trying to free my property from the clutches of unwanted vegetation. The sun had set by the time I returned home for a meal. A combination of the scent of herbicide and sweat were imbued in my clothes, but I ignored it in favor of filling my growling stomach. Echoing in the back of my head, I could still hear the sound of my sickle ripping through the thick weeds. I could feel my arms tugging at the roots. I'd barely managed it, but I'd cleared the majority of the undesirable plant life. A warm shower and a good meal later, I took a seat on the old rocking chair by the window. As I did, I had the vague impression the weeds were already reclaiming my lot. This was unacceptable. I was going to have to wage war on them and couldn't allow them to get a foothold once more. This was ending tonight. I'd stay up until the brink of dawn if it meant eradicating every single twig 
vine and bush that didn't belong on my property. I grabbed a flashlight and sickle before exiting my house. Sheer stubborn determination was the only thing keeping my tired body from toppling over. I did my best to clear the bushes, plaguing my land, but it seemed as though every time I finished one spot and moved to the next, the roots grew back. If that wasn't bad enough, the gardener arrived for his nightly rounds. I saw him gliding through the tangled mess with ease. The vegetation seemed to clear a path for him, only to close as soon as he'd made it through. I'd never been one to scare easily, especially not when faced with something as harmless as an elderly man, but something in my guts told me to run and hide. A deep, primal part of me begged me to escape. Where could I go but in the very forest of weeds that I was trying to clear? I rolled under the thorny mess and ducked low to the ground to spy on the gardener. From my lower vantage point and close proximity, I could see the bottomless watering can the gardener carried. It looked surprisingly normal. It was pastel green, though half its paint had been chipped off, exposing a rusted undercoating. On its sides were faded prints of what I could only assume were roses. The spout was uneven and caked with calcium, yet that didn't seem to deter the flow of water in the least. Holding the watering can were fingers almost as thin and sharp as twigs. One would have expected them to be shaky if they held on firmly without so much as a hint of weakness. In the shadows, I crawled closer to the old man while he continued his work. I decided it was time to confront him, ignoring the warning bells resonating in my mind. What was I so afraid of? I was bigger, tougher, and faster. He was just an old man. Taking my courage in hand, I revealed myself and stood directly in front of the stranger. That was the biggest mistake of my life. I understood, as I stood face to face with the gardener, that he was not human. Under the man's handmade straw hat was a face so horrible it caused me to tremble. I'm not sure what it was I noticed first, the eyes or the mouth. His lips were sewn together like that of a scarecrow. Ragged twine kept them perpetually angled downward while his jaw and cheeks moved in what I could only assume was an attempt at speaking, but no sound left his restrained maw. His eyes, or rather, his eye sockets, were empty. The red, moist walls contracted steadily with every beat of his heart. His lower eyelids were folded out and drooped down to his sharp cheekbones, exposing veins and pink flesh. The sight made me stumble back and scream. Perhaps I startled the gardener, or perhaps he intended to do so all along, but as soon as he heard me yell, he lunged forward and swung the watering can towards my face. Instinctively, I threw my arms up to protect myself and felt lukewarm liquid sprinkle onto my left arm. It was water. Just water. If nothing else... It was nice and refreshing. It was like walking through a sprinkler in the middle of a blisteringly hot summer day. My arms 
fell back in place, and only then did I realize that the gardener was gone, leaving behind no trace except for the soil he'd watered. I'd tested my luck enough for one night, I thought. The day's events had finally caught up to me, and an overwhelming need to sleep forced me to stumble towards my house in a tired haze. The only light I could see for miles was the one on my porch, guiding me back like a landing strip at an airport. I can't even remember making it to bed, but somehow I managed. Pain. Searing, burning pain in my arm pulled me from my slumber. I woke up in absolute agony. It was nothing like the muscle soreness I was used to. The sensation was as though someone had run a rake over my bones and shot pine needles through each of my pores. I threw my blanket off and looked at my now trembling left arm. The skin on it was drier than a desert, resembling the cracked and arid land outside. There was a strange green welt on my forearm like a tiny volcano begging to erupt. The veins on my arm had turned forest green. What exactly had I been exposed to? Was it an allergic reaction to the weeds I'd been rolling around in? Or was the gardener somehow to blame? Instinct took over, and I stumbled to the washroom, throwing open every drawer and cupboard until I found a pair of tweezers. I wanted relief from the pressure building inside the welt, I was barely able to keep hold of the tweezers due to the pain, but I forced my fingers to hang on long enough to reach the pustule. I squeezed. It gushed open. Instant relief. I sat on the edge of my bathtub, eyes closed as green liquid oozed out of the bizarre welt. For a few blissful moments, the pain in my arm stopped. But then... I felt something deep under the skin. I opened my eyes just in time to see a tiny weed sprout out from the now open sore. It unfurled and grew about an inch in height. The plant's roots did what came natural to them. They headed towards the nearest source of hydration. The closest thing this sapling had to a water source was the blood flowing through my veins. I felt a sharp prickle as its roots pierced into my blood system and traveled through me. The sensation was violating, and I could feel each grainy branch stretching my veins to their limit. Something needed to be done, and fast. There were only two things I could think of to get rid of weed, my lawnmower and herbicide. Obviously, I wasn't going to run my arm under the blades of my lawnmower. Holding my arm tightly, I dashed to the garage where I found the nearly empty jug of herbicide. In my desperation, I poured it over the exposed skin. I'm not sure what hurt more, the plant spreading through my system or the poison. The chemicals boiled at the surface of the wound, causing the sapling to shrivel up and die, but also burned my skin in the process. My pain receptors were overloading from the relentless agony I was putting myself through. I groaned guttural, animalistic noises, barely able to breathe. I knew what had to be done next. 
I'd killed the weed, but it was still inside me. It still needed to be removed. It took me a few minutes to convince myself to do it. Herbicide and green blood drizzled down my arm as I grabbed an old rag from the shelf. I rolled it and wedged it between my teeth, filling my mouth with the unpleasant taste of dirt and grime. The feel of the fabric scratching against my teeth brought goosebumps to my skin, but the discomfort was mild compared to what I was about to endure. With a deep inhale, I wrapped my fingers around the sapling, closed my eyes tightly, and pulled. If not for the gag, my screams would likely have echoed all the way to town. The sensation was nauseating. I could feel every twisted knot and tendril scraping the walls of my veins. The pain radiated from my forearm, reaching the tips of my fingers and all the way to my clavicle. Tears streamed down my sweat-stained face as I continued to pull until I'd gotten every last inch of the roots out of me. Finally, I dropped the plant onto the ground and examined what had just been inside my body. It was longer than I could have ever imagined and spread into smaller branches, most of which had bulbs at the end. Had I not dealt with it swiftly, I have no doubt those bulbs would have ruptured my skin and spread, overtaking me quickly. And then, everything went black. When I came to, I found myself curled up in a ball on the cold cement floor. My left arm could barely move. I pushed myself to my feet, dizzily heading to the bathroom so I could wash the mess. As I looked into the mirror, however, I realized the green veins had spread from my arm to the rest of my body, and now my face was covered in pustules. I had lost. It's night now, and the gardener is out there again. He's wandering my field, watering the cracked and dried up soil. I expect my house to become buried under a sea of weeds by morning, and there's nothing I can do about it. The pustules are growing larger by the hour, the saplings inside getting ready to burst out. My only hope now is to drink what's left of the herbicide. I wonder what will die first, me or the weeds. The Gardener, written by Manon Lysette and performed by Graham Rowett. Audio design was by me, Jason Wilson. The opening Raymond and Lucy episode, as well as the Raymond and Bob episode, were written by Brian Black and performed by Jason Wilson as Raymond, Christina Wilson as Lucy, Holly Linden as Aaron, Michael Riggs as Mike, Sarah Ruth Thomas as the 911 operator, 
and Graham Rowett as Bob. Artwork by Cassie Pertit. Promotional artwork by Brooks Bigley and Graham Rowett. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode and for all the support you have shown us this season. We truly appreciate it and seriously couldn't have done it without you. You know, the funny thing is, this is literally the first story I received. I reached out to Manon, and Manon granted me the access to this story. You, you know, I produced this over a year ago. Isn't that crazy? Funny how it was just like waiting for you all this time. <laughs> Man, time flies, right? I truly hope that you enjoyed this wonderful work of art from Manon Lysette and from us here at the Grey Rooms. You know, this is where I would normally tell you that we'll see you in two weeks. However, we are still finishing up our finale and is going to be an epic release at that. It is the largest piece of work so far that we have created and it has taken a bunch of work to get it ready for you. We are going to be releasing the finale on the 24th and I think you might enjoy it. Don't worry, we have a plan for the extra long gap for you, so stay tuned. We will still deliver material in between these episodes and then release the finale on time. The end of the first season. Who would have thought? Over a hundred and, what, 50,000 downloads later. Patron supporters, tons of Twitter followers, a successful Facebook page, a Discord, an Instagram, a whole slew of people bringing us all together, all because of you and for you. This is, this is amazing that we have come this far and that we are now approaching the finale. I, I can't even believe it. It's, it seems like yesterday I was writing this down, thinking of the idea and coming up with the name, The Grey Rooms. So I, uh, I am truly grateful to you. Thank you for everything, for making this a reality. You did this and we truly are excited to bring you our finale. So till then, we'll talk to you later. Thanks.